welcome back to another edition of The Buzz, where we bring you the best in gospel music, the best in wholesome content. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch up on all the goodies that we have there for you. We've had amazing content so far. Don't miss a bit. Today, we have the honor and the privilege of speaking with the senior pastor of the House of Hope Atlanta and the House of, of Hope Macon, Pastor Dr. E. Dewey Smith. Pastor, it's a wonderful privilege to meet you today and have this conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and I appreciate you, all the wonderful things that you are doing to bring inspiration and hope to the world. It's a joy and I'm humbled and honored to have this opportunity to share with you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we appreciate you being with us. And first off, congratulations on the upcoming release. We'll get into that, but you know, I wanted to start off the bat by saying congratulations on that. We can't wait to talk a bit more about that. But thank you. Before we start, we like to at least, you know, throw in one or two little icebreaker, you know, just to get that pre-interview jitter out of the way. First one I have here for you is what pastime of yours that you like to do, you know, that not too many people might be aware of? Because, you know, a lot of times some people think pastors, they're thinking, you know, pastors at home, you know, they're praying all day long, they're reading the word. But what pastime do you have that not too many people might be aware of? Uh, I love uh, watching sports and I love playing pool, billiards. Okay, good, good. So you're saying that you're, you're pretty much like an A-level pool player. Is that what you're telling me? Not saying that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I love playing pool. <laughs> you see, that's, that sounds like someone that's about to trick you. You're like, no, I'm not saying that. And then you go play, you lose all the games. Okay. <laughs> I see, I see. Now... Next one here I have for you is that what, and that's if you do look at Netflix, you know, I'm always curious, what Netflix show are you watching right now or just finished watching recently? Uh, I just watched a show on Netflix um, about Clarence Avant, okay. uh, the, the Black Godfather. And I also caught one on Netflix about the two killings of Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, is, mm. Sam Cooke is my favorite singer. And okay. uh, I was perusing Netflix and saw they had a doc, couple documentaries about him. And uh, this black, they had a movie, uh, a movie came out a couple of weeks ago called One Night in Miami. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Talking about um, uh, Muhammad Ali and um, um, uh, Malcolm X, mm -hmm. Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. Uh, and that and that was something. I think that was on premiere or HBO, uh, HBO Max, one of those uh, digital streaming uh, platforms. Okay. And then I went to went to Netflix and saw the two killings of Sam Cooke. Okay, okay, nice, nice. I'm gonna have to add that to my list. I'm always curious what is someone else looking because there's so many different choices and options out there. You know, once time permits, you never know what you can kind of get into. So good, good. That's that's so that's, true. So, so you guys see, you know, he back. The doctor is also a real person, right? He do try to unwind and he, you know, he's just not all, all seriousness. Right. Thank you so much. Now, you know, kind of, I guess, shifting a bit now. See, you've been in ministry for about over three decades now, right? 31 years. That's correct. What, what, 30, what, 33 years. Yes. Wow. So that's, that's, a, that's a long time. But now take us back. To when it all started, take us back to that seventeen-year-old self. No, how how did all of this start? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was called a minister when I was thirteen. 
and um, and I just kind of ran for a long time. And uh, but I had a, some traumatic experiences with uh, with the deaths of friends and some dreams and revelations. I, it was almost like I had premonitions about the deaths of several of my friends. And um, and I was supposed to sh- share it with them uh, prior to their deaths. And I did not do it. Oh, wow. And that started happening from 13 up until 17. And uh, I went through a series of those and it was very traumatic and, and actually still haunts me to this day. And uh, and so that's the thing that kind of birthed my ministry. And I, I was a senior in high school. and I was like, you know, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be helping to give hope and inspiration to these two to people. And uh, for some reason, people who were close to me, I was kind of ashamed, I guess, to share my faith, wanting to be normal and uh, not wanting to be the preacher's kid, et cetera, and the church boy. And my failure to do that, to share it, you know, I always felt like I always wondered about the eternal destinies of my friends that passed away uh, because I wouldn't share my faith. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was a real deep, deep burden. And at 17, I finally uh, acquiesced. And submitted, and uh, this coming um, May will be 33 years. Man, that's a that's a long time, and definitely, you know, a lot of impact. I'm sure you've made within those 33 years that would have kind of put to rest any of those thoughts in the beginning phases, whether or not that this was the right thing for you, right? So, <laughs> absolutely, right. And it was also very young to carry. I mean, by our standards, right, in our day, it's very young to carry the burden. But I liken it unto Jesus, right? He, and as young as he was, you know, he knew what he was called to do. He knew why he was here. So he's, as, as we know, the greatest example. So I'm glad that even as young as 17 years old, you were able to make that decision. Yeah, I, you know, it's something, honestly, that I wouldn't recommend uh, to a normal person, somebody who's unsure. You know, I start, past, I start preaching at 17. I start pastoring at 19. And sometimes, wow. yeah, I was a sophomore in college. And sometimes I, you know, I've wondered, um, you know, that's not typical. And I've wondered about, you know, whether you, have, you get a chance to be normal and be human. You know, um, there are so many expectations of ministers. And, and I think when you don't have time to fully mature and experience life, um, that, 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 you know, I, that could be difficult. So I try to tell people now. Try to mature, try to live, try to have a normal life. Because once you start, you may look back at it and think that you missed out on some things later on. You know, I believe God called me young because God, God knew that that would save me. I believe one of my mentors says God calls people for several reasons. He calls some because they're just great people. He calls others young because he knows that's the only thing that will keep them coming back to God. And I, I think I'm in that latter category that God called me when I was young to keep me connected to him. Because coming to school in Atlanta from a small town, so many distractions, it was a thing that kept me kind of stabilized and kept me coming back to God. Right. Powerful. Now, so, I mean, again, that's, that, that's some pretty interesting stuff. And even with, you know, kind of thinking about hope and, you know, us being in Black History Month, you know, kind of going through and looking at everything, you know, we noticed that you were inducted into the Martin Luther King 
board of preachers at Morehouse as a distinguished preacher. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge honor in and of itself. So kind of tell us, how has Dr. King influenced your life as a pastor? Well, you know, uh, growing, up in, growing up in the church and going to Morehouse, you know, I was a chaplain sister when I was at Morehouse my sophomore year and learning, um, you know, about the principles of, of social activism and, um, and learning the importance of, of seeking for liberty and justice for people and doing the work in the community. Um, Dr. King's life, I think, uh, is a, a great earthly paradigm of what Jesus' ministry was about. You know, it was about liberation. It was also about the community. And much of Dr. King's life was not just in a sanctuary or in a church setting or indoors. It was outdoors. And that paradigm has been preeminent in my own ministry because I think sometimes, unfortunately, uh, we can get so caught up in being in cathedrals and the stained glass windows, but being the salt of the earth and really getting out and making a difference in the community. Mm-hmm. And in so much Dr. King's life, you know, he, he resigned from pastoring, you know, when he was in Montgomery and spent the rest of his life as a co-pastor because he felt that the work was in the streets. And I think that that, template is still very, very important, uh, that Jesus calls us to be fishers of men and, and to take the gospel not beyond the confines of the walls of a, of a church, of a sanctuary. And, uh, and that's been something I've tried to live by uh, and pattern my ministry after for 33 years. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, and again, and for everything else that, you know, you've done, even speaking about, you know, community work, your work that you've done with prison reform and with everything else that, you know, you've been involved with, with that, you know, you want to just touch a bit on that? Like, why is that so important for you? Yeah, it's, it's important because, you know, when you think about, as I was saying earlier, the ministry of Dr. King, the ministry of the civil rights movement, the ministry of Jesus, um, Sometimes people can't get to the church because they feel so unworthy and and uh, they don't feel loved. And I think there's so many power structures and and oppressive systems and policies in our world that some people need help and empowerment. And so, you know, we when I was in my 20s, you know, we started doing a lot of work with prison reform. At the time when I was in seminary, I found out that in Georgia, if someone was released from prison, they would, they would get a $35, uh, uh, $35 and a bus ticket, but sometimes with no skills and, and you know, sometimes no families to go back to. And so when that happened, it just increased recidivism. And as a consequence, it was a cycle. So a lot of people who went into prison, who made mistakes when they were younger, which a lot of my friends who I played sports with were in that situation, no education, no training, and they go back in that system. So how do we stop that cycle? And so I was very, 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 very heavily involved at a very young age with trying to stop the, you know, lower the recidivism rates and reentry programs here in Georgia. We started some programs there in middle Georgia. We had about 200 men to go to our program who had been incarcerated or had a history of substance abuse. And our aim was, you know, to prevent, prevent and uh, present and develop independent, complete men of God, you know, who, uh, we, we gave, uh, we had clinical evaluations, detoxifications. Our goal was to clear up credit problems and legal problems so that they could take their rightful places in, in, in society. And I just believe that the church has to do more of those types of things. And so we, 
we've been doing outreach for a very, very long time. And that was one of our initial forays, um, uh, prison reform and, and now we're working on human trafficking. So things of that magnitude. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. I mean, what an example of go, going into all the world and preaching the gospel, you know, Indeed. addressing human trafficking, addressing racial inequities, addressing, you know, those um, things head on is just um, powerful and important in this day and age. Um, so you co-hosted a faith-based talk show produced by Warner Brothers. What aspects of it, you know, most did you most enjoy about it? And, you know, is it something that you would like to go back to? Because that in itself is a way to do what we just talked about, you know, going into the world and preaching the gospel, even though it's through a form of media. Yeah, I've been I've been doing media ministry for a long time. Started working on cam on the cameras when I was around nine or ten years old, and so I've loved media uh, in high school, doing things for the yearbook athletes who were trying to submit their videos to colleges to get scholarships. But unfortunately, when I started pastoring, I didn't know what role my passion for media would have. So I would do short films and illustrated sermons. Been doing that for a very very long time, and uh, and. I, you know, a lot of my colleagues, the older colleagues, thought I was very, very weird. Mm -hmm. And so writing film, producing programs, been doing it for a long time. And yet when we had the opportunity with Warner Brothers and I was signed to them in 2015, that was the first opportunity to really discuss faith-based topics from a, a global perspective. And it was a great, great opportunity. And I, we had a summer run, the first faith-based uh, talk show to appear on daytime television. Uh, our ratings were incredible. I think a lot of, I think a lot of, there were a lot of other undercurrents uh, in terms of having floor African American men on camera. Uh, mm -hmm. That was kind of problematic for some people. Um, and uh, additionally, I think one of the challenges was, you know, having somebody to produce that type of content that represented the best of the church. And, you yeah. know, it's more more particularly black church. And sometimes uh, trying to convince them, help them produce the shows uh, where it was about maintaining the honor and the integrity of the shows. So it showed me that we need to continue to develop more producers who can tell our own stories because sometimes they don't, they don't mind us being on cameras, but making decisions about content. It was, it was a challenge to say the least. And, uh, but you know, so it's, it's really heightened uh, my desire and my passion to want to do more in that regard. Right. So it sounds like your sh the shift for you has been to not just be on the camera, but be behind the camera to make sure that the production of what's being presented is in the right angle. Well, that's what I think that's where the power comes in. I think that's what's most important. I think the, the people who, who are the writers and the producers, that's the thing that has the most power. And sometimes uh, when people don't reflect our values, they don't know our experiences, they want to make good TV. And sometimes in order to make good TV, the content is not up, up to my part, up to par, mm -hmm. and not reflective of the characters and the core values. And, you know, I don't care how, how nice the picture is, how big the production company is, we still want to make sure that it em embodies liberation and hope. Yeah. And loves and and not and not foolishness, you know. And I think sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's what we see on television, um, you know, in reality shows and other things. It's about, you know, sometimes buffoonery, mm -hmm. and uh, 
And so it's just really made me recommit myself to how do we come up with programming uh, that's still shot and produced at the highest quality, uh, but still can reflect the core values of, of Christ and love and justice and redemption in the world. And so uh, I'm still working that regard. I have my own production company now. And, um, and I just believe that uh, some great things are going to come out of that. And a lot of other people are doing the same thing across the world. And so I'm committed to it. Awesome. Yeah, I love that because Sherwin and I had a conversation before we got on. We were talking about, you know, um, the struggles of, you know, not having a seat at the table, you know, to really make the decisions that need to be made. And um, in a case like that, a lot of a lot of us get caught up in just being on screen. But you you made a great point about the people that are on screen don't really make most of often they don't make the decisions about what gets featured. Right. What angles of the story get told, how the story is told, what parts get cut out before it's seen on the big screen. So um, I'm so proud that a brother has, you know, put together a production company to make sure that the stories get told in the most effective ways, that no one has to be on the, um, on the wrong side or on the negative side of the story. And we get represented in a positive way. Thank you. For, I, I agree. I, and you, you get the rec, you, you, you have an understanding of it. And I think we just have to do more of that mm-hmm. and not get caught up in just the moment, you know, uh, yeah. not just entertaining people uh, at the extent of losing our character and our integrity and not being a good example for, for future generations to follow. Right. So tell us when you, when you came to the realization that you could be a pastor and also a recording artist because we didn't get to the music yet but we're gonna jump into that we're gonna jump into the music right now that's why we're here we're gonna jump into that so he can preach he can teach he can produce he can sing so how did you know you could do both well you know that's a great that's a great question um when i started actually pastoring at 19 a lot of my older mentors told me i couldn't do both Mm-hmm. Um, because I was, you know, I was known, you know, at that time I did more music in terms of singing, musicianship, you know, directing choirs, et cetera. And at that moment, it was like, you have to make a choice because people will never respect you as a legitimate, authentic preacher, pastor, if you're still known as a musician or a mu- minister of music. So although I love music and uh, it was a part of my heart, I felt like it had become secondary because at that time, most of the great ministers of the world who I had looked up to didn't do a lot with music. And so I still would do a lot in terms of church and produce things behind the scenes, but I was, but that was a burden. I felt uncomfortable. And so it probably has been in the last maybe 10 years, I guess that I felt that I felt that, uh, that actually we that that we could do both, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but just being so inundated with ministry and pastoring, um, just trying to find the time. But I said, you know, mm-hmm. God gave me this gift and the passion, and so I just made a decision. You know, I, I want I want to start I want to start to do something that I know God has given me the gifts because every good never gift every good and perfect gift comes from God. Right. And so it's true. Yeah, that's that's where I am. But but I, I was I was really given some very bad information. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of, a lot of years went by without me operating in the totality of my call mm-hmm. and my gift. And we're so glad you made the decision 10 years ago, 
to say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give one up for the other. I'm going to find a way to do both because your presence is a gift, is a glory. Yes. Wow. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It really brings the presence of God into your, into your situation, into your space. We were rocking out to it before the call and we were just like, I said, sure, I'm going to play that again. And it wasn't just because I wanted to listen to the musicianship. It was that it really evoked the presence of God. Yes. yes. Wow. That, that means a lot to me. Um, you know, we want to do, we want to do something that was worshipful um, because worship is important. And, you know, as a genre and, and, and also for our lifestyles, uh, but also we wanted to do something that we could sing on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We want to do a song that, Sometimes based upon the style of worship, whether that church is high liturgy or low liturgy, sometimes music is not created that, you know, it's not even called gospel music sometimes, unfortunately, in some cases. Some, sometimes radio sometimes radio is yeah. so commercial and it's just inspirational. So we want to do something that was worshipful, but that's yet that you can sing on Sunday morning. Right. You know, and, you know, and then how can we sing something that's worshipful, but then this song could be unique you know, and pay uh, tribute to the sounds of the African-American church, you know? So yes. we, want to do it, we want to do it in such a way where it sounded like us, mm-hmm. but yet still could be a kingdom song that people could sing and could invoke and evoke worship. So uh, your comments have blessed my heart tremendously because that's our, that was our prayer that people could enter into worship when they, when they heard it. Right, right. And I even started jotting down some of the lyrics because they were impactful. Savior, treasure, we find our pleasure. Yes. It's good. <laughs> God be praised. Yeah. You know, so, sometimes I think sometimes we made we've made um, faith be about just things. You know, uh, we look at God, I call as a as an ontological Santa Claus or uh, an ecclesiastical bellhop. You know, we want God to come and Grant us cars and cribs and clothes and cash and, uh, and companions and what I call creature comforts. But yeah, yeah. But, but but what about what about what about him? You know, uh, you know, pursuing the face of God, not just the hand of God. And I think sometimes our desires for pr- prosperity and things have made us prioritize blessings rather than the source of blessings. And so that song, God, you know, hey. At this moment, just just save your treasure. You know, we, we find our pleasure in you. Right. So, you know, for us who have been Christians for a long time, we get that really, really well. Your presence is a gift. Yes. For, some, for someone who maybe does not have as much as much experience in the things of God, do you have a moment in time where you experience God's presence as a gift? Um, it could have been a tangible gift. It could be an emotional gift, an experiential gift that you can just describe for our listeners. That's a great question. Um, I think it's supposed to be a little personal, but feel free to share. Yeah. Yeah, Recently that's been, if I can be honest with you, the reason why that song resonated with me um, in a, in a real way, um, you know, five, five years ago, um, January of 2016, um, I had to bury my godmother, my mother, my best friend from college, and my sister all within 28 days. Um, 
I had I had to bury my sister and my mother three weeks apart and do all four of those eulogies. Mm. And um, and to say the least, the pain and brokenness of that moment. Um, you know, I wanted I wanted the presence of my family. You know, I I I I I felt as if God, you know, didn't answer me. You know, I I, I pray for others, and I've seen others get up. And I've seen God do miracles in other people's lives. And, and I pray for others and seen them get off their sick beds. I mean, so many times God has done it. But at this critical moment for me, I felt that, you know, where is God in all this? Mm-hmm. And so it, I was not in the best place spiritually or emotionally, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, we know how, you know, you know, and I, and I think for me, um, I was taught you just preach through, it. Right. you know, preaching this cathartic, just mm-hmm. praise and preach your way through. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes people of faith, we can sometimes we can over spiritualize or over demonize, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and for and for me, you know, not trying to be a person of faith and trying to act like this wasn't traumatic. It was a traumatic. It was the most traumatic thing I ever gone through. I mean, imagine bearing having to eulogize your mom and your sister 21 days apart, wow. you know, and then five days after my, my sister was buried, my 41 year old brother had a massive stroke, took his sight, took some of his mobility. He's still not, um, oh he's still not where he's supposed to be. So um, I, I struggled in a real, real way about trying to find myself again, mm-hmm. trying to find my mojo back. And what happened to be honest with you, um, I prayed through it. And I really, really had to take my worship to another level um, mm. to say, OK, God, you know, I wanted you to answer my prayer. I was hurt and broken because my prayers weren't answered. Um, but my joy, my, I'm, I was able to regain and retain and find my joy. Not in not in answer prayers, mm-hmm. but okay. in the yeah. aware, but in the awareness that God is present. Mm. That even though even those moments that God's presence brings sustenance and and can maintain me, um, not 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 to bring my mother back, not to bring my sister back, but the presence to let me know that I can get through it. And I just think for me, that's probably the most tangible experience in my life to know, because here's what I know. If God if I didn't have if I didn't. If I did not have God's presence the past five years, we may not be having this conversation today. Um, yes. If I, I don't, I don't think I, could, I don't think I could have stood before people to minister mm-hmm. uh, if God didn't do some deliverance for me and really help me to see more clearly. Because you know, I, you know, I could have very easily lost my way. That's how hurt I was, you know. And and that may sound crazy to somebody else who's listening, you know, because um, I'm a man of faith. I live by faith. I preach faith and, you know, and just live by faith. But, but my, but my brokenness and my hurts were so real that I, that I struggled and um, I really did and didn't have the confidence. A lot of, con- you know, I still could preach mechanically and get through the moment, but Lord, are you here? Mm-hmm. Do you really hear me? And, and the presence of God has sustained me and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not normal. I don't think I ever be normal again. I don't think, 
you know, a piece of, I, I will never have my full heart with me because my mom took a piece of that with her. Yeah. But, but I know, but I know his strength is made perfect in weakness. And I know that the, that the, that in his presence, that's fullness of joy. And so that song means more to me now. I can sing that song now. I probably couldn't have, couldn't have ministered that song six, seven years ago. Wow. What a response. Man, your presence is a gift. Wow. I, you know, now that you go through all of that and you said that and you're at that place, now that you've produced and, you know, released this song, you know, coming March 5th is going to be released for everyone everywhere. Like now it just have an extra something behind it because now it was written and orchestrated and given to you in a place where, you know, there's always a saying that you should be able to minister to yourself first. So you use this firsthand and, you know, and you use it for you doing your moment to know that everyone, especially coming out of a year like 2020, when everyone was so broken, so many lost, seeking, looking for different things. Now we can now have a song like this. We can have something we can listen to. We can sing in churches. We can, you know, really dive into. So that's amazing. And, and it makes sense. Now I'm listening to what you said and what we were listening to the song over and over. There was just something there, but I couldn't quite put my hand on it. Wow. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's one of my professors in seminary said that every song, every song needs to have some, every sermon, every message needs to have some blood on it. You know, really, really meaning if you haven't lived it, then it really won't touch others. And, and that, that song is not just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't produced just to get spins. It wasn't produced, you know, to, to mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully gets a lot of spins. And I know you don't help us mm -hmm. with that, but it was produced to really touch the heart and, and let people realize that even when I don't get the answers I want, mm -hmm. and even if the stuff doesn't come, if the treasures don't come, Right. You know, I can find my pleasure. Even if the prayer is not answered, mm. I still can find pleasure in, in, in God. And I think that's, I, 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 I know that now in a real way. And I hope others who experience that song uh, will also be able to, to share those sentiments also. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure they will. So now we have, we have the single that's coming out on March 5th. You know, yes. your presence is a gift. But in between, kind of going back and thinking about ownership, you know, the traditional route you see, you know, someone as an independent artist, they would release something, you know, some people try to get signed to a label. But, you know, you went about this, you know, you released it. And, you know, from what I'm seeing here, you know, you also launched your own record label. So tell us, like, what was the inspiration, you know, even behind that imprint Pebble Street Records? So talk to us about the name first and foremost. It's an amazing name. I mean, I love the name. So talk to us about that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm from a place called Macon, Georgia, which is central Georgia. And my family, the Smiths, the Browns, and the Thomases all grew up in South Macon on a street called Pebble Street. Wow. Uh, Pebble Street, uh, for me, uh, the epicenter of soul, culture, and music. Um, my father, my grandfather, Jack Smith, um, my great-great-uncle, Matthew Brown, they were all singers, um, quartet singers. Uh, my mother's family, the Cotton, the Cotton Brothers, yeah. uh, they, they were a, 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 a worldwide quartet in the 60s. 
And so music has been an integral part of my family on both sides. Wow. And so we would get our guitars out, family reunions. Um, it was nothing to have the whole block shut down with a block party or a music fest. Wow. You know, so the quartet singers, the choir singers, you know, I, I, my first piano lessons uh, was at Ms. Effie Williams' house. Uh, five, um, she lived, uh, she, she lived at, uh, at uh, 645 Pebble Street. You know, my first guitar lessons took place on Pebble Street. So Pebble Street is the first street where, you know, I grew up, where I lived, you know, for the first parts of my, of my life. And so that name was a tribute to just the culture and my family and all those, you know, who have impacted me musically. And so I wanted to honor my hometown and also honor the street that gave birth to so much talent. Um, and I think foundationally and formationally, what I am musically, I got from Pelper Street. Wow. Man, what, what, is, what a rich history. Right? Exactly. So I'm excited about it. That's, that's awesome. So you have, the, you have the, the new single coming out on March 5th. Your presence is a gift. You have the new record label that's launched. So now tell us now, with all those pieces in place, it seems like you're cooking up this big master plan. So I'm thinking, is the album as well coming down the line? So talk to Ab Absolutely. I, th I, think we hope, I think the album is supposed to come out by June, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so we're going to awesome. release a single. You know, I, you know I, I, I know music in church and I have my thoughts, but I'm trying to let the professionals, you mm -hmm. know, those who have more experience in this, make the decisions about, how everything is supposed to drop. So, you know, I know how to lead, but also I know how to follow. But the album is coming also. And, and I also look forward to um, to giving others an opportunity um, through the, the record question. label. That was the yeah. next question I had. So is there also plans to sign others to the label? At some absolutely. Point? Absolutely. We've had a whole lot of, we, we have a lot of talented people to come through our church. And, mm. uh, and I think, you know, for years we've been, you know, because I've been focused on ministry and school and preaching and pastoring, as I said earlier, that this part, you know, I mean, for instance, our, our worship leader 10 years ago was a young lady whose name was Miranda Curtis. Oh, um, wow. I did yeah, not so know that. Miranda Curtis was our worship leader. Uh, Mignon Bolton, Zebulon Ellis, who went on, Zeb, who went yeah, on. Yeah, uh, I'm very familiar with Zeb, yeah. Yeah, Isaac Curie. Uh, who was with, with Men of Standard, uh, Mignon Bolton, Greg Kirkland, uh, wow. Darius, Darius Park, who uh, wrote the song Nobody Greater. So these are yeah. people who've been a part of our ministry, you know, for years, but yet we have, mm. you know, been singing everybody else's music, and a lot of them have never been signed to their own labels. Wow. So I had a vision to sign Miranda years ago, uh, but you know, but that's the type of talent, you know, nobody really knew Miranda Curtis 10 years ago. And now she's one of the most incredible. So, and there are others nice. out there who have those stories, just need somebody to give them an opportunity um, and get behind them. And uh, with the right writers, right producers to really do music in a, an incredible way. And so that's, that's part of the vision as well. Amazing. Wow. We got a lot of history today. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and forth, blast from the past and the present. 
I, I love it. I love it. This is this is this has come full circle, and this is amazing that you're doing that. You're providing that opportunity so they can take from there. They can, you know, be able to even launch forward others and you know their ministry and everything else that's happening. So you know, we we thank you. We also honor you for being obedient for going forward and seeing this, feeling that call, and you know, and yes, and do doing both because there's nothing wrong with doing both. You know, we're. We're a complex, holistic being that have so many different facets of our lives that we shouldn't necessarily just divert into one direction only. So, you know, you're, you're a true definition of that. So, guys, your presence is a gift. Woo-hoo. It's going to be releasing March 5th. Trust me, I, you know, I got, I got a sneak peek. I was able to listen to it. And, you know, I, I can't wait for you to be able to listen to it. I can't wait for you guys to be able to experiences you know from every single thing that you've heard so far you know that is now getting started with everything else here for dr smith so you guys follow the journey get the single get the album when it's released and you know just follow everyone else is going to be even coming along with the label because we're going to be on the side here cheering you on you know once it's released you know everything else we're going to be you know see you on the charts we're going to see you on the stellas we're going to see you all over so you know when we come by you feel that that tap on your shoulder that's going to be us <laughs> well uh, well I, I i received it and i appreciate the opportunity uh and I, really, really so appreciate, and I really appreciate all you're doing for gospel music and just to get the word out and help people i just i just i, I don't think there's anything like gospel music in the world and and to have a resource and people who are dedicated to 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 champion it and to push it and to you know and and to foment and galvanize people around it. I think it's a beautiful thing. And so I'm honored that you would allow me to uh, be a part of your uh, of your uh, conversation today. I really am. Thank you. thank you, thank you, thank you again. Appreciate you. Have yourself an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Likewise, thank you. God bless. And, and well, actually, before before I, I know by now everyone, you know, from the ministry, from other aspects, they would know where to find you. But I'll be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, where can people find you socially? How can they continue to follow what's going on and everything else that's coming down the pipes? Thank you so much. On, on Instagram and Twitter, I am at E Dewey Smith. That's E D E W E Y. Smith, S-M-I-T-H. On Facebook, I am the official page of Pastor E. Dewey Smith. My website is edeweysmith.org. So there you go, guys. Google E. Dewey Smith. You're, you're going to see everything. Follow him on social media. Follow the journey. Again, Pastor, Doctor, we thank you so much for coming along and for chatting with us today. Thank you. I'm humbled that you allowed me to be a part. Thank you so very much. You're welcome.